0: Will you stand for the reading of God's word as you're able? We're reading out of Acts eleven verses nineteen through chapter twelve verse five. Acts eleven, nineteen through twelve, verse five. brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. About that time, Herod, the king, laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread, and when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. The word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: good morning Calvary family hope you all are doing well it's good to be with you this morning we are in the middle of our series through uh, the story of the Bible and the healing of the world and we are currently as we work through the entire story of the Bible in the book of Acts and we're at a pretty interesting point in the book of Acts some of you may know this but Acts Uh, was written by Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And the way he organized the book was uh, very much after Jesus' commission. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, uh, and to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And so the story of Acts finds its location in chapters roughly two through seven in Jerusalem. And then as it gets into chapters uh, roughly 8 through 13, it goes into broader Judea and Samaria, and then chapters 13 all the way to the end are about uh, the gospel going to the ends of the earth. And so it has taken us a pretty long time in the story to get to the point where the gospel is unleashing, starting to unleash toward our direction. And so it's really interesting when you think about the fact it's 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 so easy to I think as we think of our own moment and situation um, as if the gospel has always been here and and that it kind of revolves around us right but then you like you think about um, you think about Jesus commission and you're like the ends of the earth may have been Portugal um, and so, like, we're in space that's, like, beyond the ends of the earth that was not even probably a real possibility for the disciples as they're hearing Jesus' commission, right? And so, for those of us who receive the gospel, it's like the miracle of, like, getting beyond the ends of the earth, right? It's kind of how we process the gospel coming to us. And so, I th- one of the things I was thinking about this week that I, I think gave me a sense of thankfulness... Um, is we get this window into the struggle that was there in order for the gospel to move forward, right? And, and I know oftentimes it's, um, I know if you guys, maybe you think of this in your own families, right? It's easy for kids to critique parents, right? Um, and say, oh, I wish I had that. I wish I had this. Um, and then you like hear your parents tell a little bit of their own story and their own struggles. And you're like, wow, that was pretty impressive, <laughs> you know, what they did for me amidst their own human struggles, right? And you, can ha- you have a new appreciation for what was granted to you and given to you um, in many cases. Um, and I think it's that way for us a little bit as we peek into the book of Acts today. We're seeing this moment where the early Christians, the early Jesus followers, went through a lot of hardship. In order for the movement of the gospel to happen and and this is where we can maybe i mean obviously we can connect our story all the way back to creation uh but maybe in a in a a new wake we can find ourselves in the story of the bible as we see uh, these people these early followers of jesus and what they went through to move the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth and so again it took us a while uh, to get the, the gospel message, the, the message of J- the life of Jesus um, beyond Jerusalem. But we're finally there, we're in Acts, and so we're finishing out um, the second section. We're just taking a broad view, look at chapters 11 and 12, and the kind of moment it is. And then next week we'll start into chapter 13, um, which will get the gospel beyond uh, and, and starting to spread to the ends of the earth. And so, just have this kind of moment we have for us. One of the things that I want to highlight, we have called this series uh, that we're in the story of the Bible and the healing of the world. And one of the things that I think is super interesting is Peter, in our text this morning, addresses a particular person through whom which the movement of the healing of the world would not happen. If it wasn't for this person, there is no movement of the healing for the world, right? So in titling this series, The Story of the Bible and the Healing of the World, right? We have someone today that we see that it would be the story of the Bible and the tragedy of the world if it wasn't for that. That person is the Holy Spirit. There would be no movement of the gospel to the ends of the earth if it is not for the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to look at that uh, a little bit here. But before we do that, I want to almost, and this was coming to my mind this week, like, like thinking of having the case for healing, right? So we've made the case that the Bible is about the healing of the world, and I think that that requires a fundamental understanding and look at human history, that we see a lot of disease, spiritual disease, physical disease, emotional disease. We see a lot of brokenness in the history of humanity. It's fair to say that as human beings, we haven't always done a great job at loving our neighbors as ourselves. And so we can look at our own situation And look at ourselves and think, man, if I really loved my neighbor as myself, if I really loved the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and it's appropriate to want that. It's appropriate to long for that. It's appropriate for us to look at the fracture of humanity and say, I want it healed. I want the world. I want myself to be healed. And this person, the Holy Spirit, If it was not for the work, the powerful work he unleashes in these parts of Acts, the healing doesn't come to us and doesn't come to the world. There is no story of the Bible and no healing of the world without the Spirit of God. Healing for our world will look like humanity fully surrendering to god's wisdom the spirit so that we can really experience this entangled love that is held out for us what the healing looks like is the expression of love love being experienced primarily in jesus of nazareth no greater love has one than one who will lay his life down. And so we, by the Spirit, are then able to even, what is the object through which we love our neighbor? What do we have to look at? Love your neighbor as what? Yourself. There has to be an initial sense of dignity and appreciation of being made in the image of God. I mean, all of us in this room have this beautiful reality about us. We're made in the image of God with the profound capacity, even in the midst of failure and wrongdoing, to still have love. And maybe, according to Jesus, primarily through our failures, having love, the one who... Is forgiven little loves little. The one who is forgiven much loves much. And so as we think about this desire for life and this healing for the world, it's about it's setting out for us hope that all that we see and hear and smell and taste can be fixed. That we can once again, by the Spirit of God, experience and live out love. But what we find in the story of the Bible and the healing of the world is we cannot have healing and love without the presence of God. Human beings, precisely because we're made in the image of God, cannot flourish without the life of God. We are left to ourselves only to dehumanize without the presence and life of God. Human beings cannot flourish, cannot love, cannot be healed without the presence of God. And this is coming to us through the Holy Spirit. And so, what's so amazing about, as Pastor Eric preached to us last week about the story of Cornelius and Peter... What is so profound to Peter in that story that in the end of the day, he has to say, even though these people are Gentiles, I kind of have to, like, legitimize what, who they are now. They're, they're real Jesus followers. They're real covenant members of God's covenant now. Why? As Peter is retelling, which is super interesting because the Cornelius story, as we heard last week, is so impactful for the forward trajectory of the gospel Peter retells it as he visits Jerusalem to tell them what happened in chapter 11 he says and the Spirit told me to go with them that is the people that Cornelius sent to go back with them to Cornelius's home to share the story of Jesus he said the Spirit told me to go with them making no distinctions at the beginning, at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That changed everything for Peter. That changed everything for Peter, that the life of God was affirmed in Gentiles. Why? Because the Spirit was sent to them. They had the Spirit of God and thus they were beginning the process of healing because the Spirit given to us is the beginning. It's like God reaching into the new creation, grabbing some of the new creation and blowing it into our lives and saying, you now have the down payment, the first fruits of the new creation, namely the Holy Spirit. And so healing begins in the world when the Spirit is coming to us. And that's why Peter, this changed everything for Peter. Because Peter saw that the life of the new creation was given to Gentiles. And so everything changes for Peter. When we get into chapter 11 here, we see the church in Antioch. And those of you familiar with Antioch, we know that there's two different cities called Antioch in the book of Acts. One in Syria and one in more what we call Turkey today, modern Turkey. This Antioch in chapter 11 is Antioch in Syria. So if you're thinking of kind of going from Jerusalem up to Turkey, you would pass uh, the northern part there of Antioch in Syria. And, And Antioch in Syria was at the time of the major known cities to the writers of scripture uh, was one of the three most well-known influential cities just behind uh, Alexandria and Rome so a super influential city and the gospel launching point then we see that the very first the church sends her very first missionaries into an international movement of the healing life of Jesus through this church this church in antioch in syria was the first movement international movement of the good news of jesus the launching point for the gospel being taken to the ends of the earth happens in antioch and syria after all the gospel going to the ends of the earth was god's promise to abraham was it not That through Abraham all the families of the earth will be blessed. This means that the ends of the earth will be healed. What does this blessing entail? It's healing. Healing for people, healing for all creation. Again, as I said earlier, there is no healing for the world without the presence of God. Creation cannot flourish apart from the Creator. The life of God Is essential for healing and so it's no wonder that if the life of God has to be localized with human beings for human beings to experience healing it's no wonder that God had Israel make a tabernacle because a tabernacle was a means through which God could localize himself it's no wonder that God eventually had Israel make a, a temple for God to house himself and to localize himself so healing could come to the world. It is essential that the life of God is localized with us. In fact, that's how the Bible starts and that's how the Bible finishes. The story of the Bible begins with God creating a garden to commune, with his image, with his creation. And the Bible ends with remaking that same reality, remaking a world in which God could be near and present. As we think about the hope of the future, Revelation 21 says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, a new creation that God is making. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling, the tabernacling, the templing place of God is with humanity. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. There shall be no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. God has to be localized with humanity in order for us to flourish and to have healing. That's why God established a tabernacle and temple with Israel. As we know as the story develops, Israel never became the conduit of healing that God intended for them. And so what did God do? He put skin in the game. He had his son assume flesh, Jesus, to take on the healing calling for the world. Because God's plan is always to heal the world. And even when Israel failed, as we would have, he invested himself through Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus, in perfect submission to his Father and empowered by the Spirit of God, was everything God intended a human being to be for the world. Jesus was everything submitted to the Father, empowered by the Spirit, everything God wanted a human being to be for the world. He was the healer. He was offering forgiveness of sins. He was making people who could not walk leap like deer. The miracles of Jesus are a window into what the new creation will be like. So Jesus' miracles aren't just power shows to show he's really strong, maybe not less than that, but the miracles of Jesus are unique moments for God to bring again that new creation into the present. Healing. And the beautiful part of the story is we now get to participate because since Jesus was everything God intended him to be, Guess what happened when Jesus loved radically? People didn't like it, so they killed him. But because Jesus was everything God intended him to be, God brought him back from the dead, gave him new life, and Jesus said, it is now better for me to leave because if I leave, I will send my spirit to you. And then the new location through which God localizes himself, his presence, remember we have to have God's presence to have healing. The place in which God puts his presence in the world today is the church. Is this wildfire of a movement that began in Acts. As we receive the spirit, as we receive the life of the new creation, we can be healed. And we can offer healing in Jesus' name. But there's a crucial piece to the story that we see in Acts 11 and 12, and even in prior chapters. You don't get the Spirit if you don't receive it without distinction. You don't get the Spirit if you don't receive it without partiality. If your spirit that you talk about is one that causes division and partiality and distinctions, it's the wrong spirit. Because what does Peter say? Peter says... How do I know that it's the Spirit of God that is working in this world? It's because he told me to offer the message of Jesus without distinction, because God shows, according to Peter earlier in chapter 11, no partiality. Our fundamental posture as a church in the world is not to create distinctions and barriers and walls. Our fundamental posture as people who inherited the Jesus story, inherited the spirit of God, our fundamental posture is one of openness and welcoming and giving, not one of building and grabbing. Now, if we know anything about human history, which I think most of us are in that. It's really hard to do that. It's really hard when human beings create new social networks to not create definition and barriers and boundaries. It is really really hard for us. It's almost so hard, it's like it has to be miraculous to not do that. It's almost Like It would almost take the spirit of God himself to open our hearts up, to take risks, to be misunderstood. The fundamental posture of the early church as it spread to the world was one of inclusion. Because why? They knew they had the life of the new creation dwelling in them. What could possibly, what social boundary could possibly come in the way that's worth pulling back and not giving the life of the new creation? And so we must have a fundamental posture of openness and inclusion. Pastor Eric referenced this last week. What's interesting to note, though, is that the writer of the book of Luke Acts also shared some information about us, about Jesus in his gospel, when he shared about the life of Jesus. He said, Jesus, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. The Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Imagine that. A Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, willing to associate with people the the powers that be around him don't think he should associate with. And doing it in a way that's public and present. Not worrying about being maligned because in fact, that's precisely what happened. Is Jesus was misunderstood. But because jesus wanted the healing of the world and he knew the healing of the world could only come through the spirit he was eager to find the lost sheep he was eager to find the lost coin he was eager to find the lost son and so those who followed jesus empowered by the same spirit that jesus was empowered Do the same thing. Peter comes back and says, a spirit told us to offer this without distinction. The whole movement of the early church is one of open arms and willing to take risks, even at the expense of real persecution. So we think that all sounds good, like to be open and to be welcoming, that hospitable, that... What doesn't sound good about that? Except don't forget the history of humanity. They tend to not like that. Even in our own social world that we live in today in America, it's a lot easier to talk an ideology of being welcoming. But when it comes at a cost, when it means we have to give up and sacrifice, it's not as interesting. And when someone else is willing to give up and says you should give up, then you malign them because you don't want to give up. But we can't do that here. We can't do that. We have to have the posture of love that that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians that love assumes the best. Peter tells us in one of his letters, as we think about our posture toward the world, he said, be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. And so a lot of people spend a ton of time building up their Rolodex of defenses of Christianity. But you can have a deep Rolodex of answers, but there's one thing that's required in that text. What is it? Someone has to ask you, Someone has to ask you for the hope that lies within you. How many of us are going to go to someone that we know just has a Rolodex of answers why we're wrong and say, tell me all about your Jesus? It doesn't mean we don't have reasons and arguments and we don't learn about our faith. Don't hear that. But for us to even be in a situation to give an answer for the hope that lies within us, probably means something about who we are as a person also. That we would even be the type of person that someone would want to come to and ask and say, you have hope. You may have a lot of answers, but do you have hope? Does it look like you have hope? Or does it only look like you have answers? And so the movement of this early church that is Pressing into new creation healing through Jesus did, in fact, suffer persecution. In some senses, it shouldn't be surprising this is exactly what happened to Jesus. And Jesus warned his followers that they would suffer like he suffered. And so as we see there in chapter 12, that's precisely what happened to James. The brother of John. He was killed with the sword. We see Stephen killed, was stoned to death, Saul approving of it. But isn't it then just like Jesus, just like the healing message that the Creator God is bringing to the world, isn't it just like this God who looks for lost sheep and lost coins and lost children, to offer healing to the one who's persecuting his people. Paul, Saul of Tarsus, he extends himself and risks himself, and the early church risks welcoming him because maybe this is just some play, and Paul's actually going to maximize it and continue to persecute, but instead, because of God's willingness, because of the example of Jesus who receives sinners, And tax collectors, the other church said, we have to receive Saul of Tarsus. God offers him salvation. And it's the consistent message of Acts that when the church is persecuted, when the church is persecuted for their willingness to press into the world with open arms, that the church grows. The church flourishes even in the midst of great persecution. Clearly, I don't think we should look for persecution. And yet at the same time, when we have no dissonance, do we have to wonder to ourself, are we? what are we doing? If people don't think we're risking ourselves for other people, and then maligning us for it? What what are we doing? That is where the gospel is most flourishing in Acts. When people are being maligned for bringing the message of Jesus into places certain people don't think they should. And then they're persecuted for it. As we think about our own situation as a church here, I long for us to want and be driven by that longing for everyone we see to be healed by the mercy of Jesus, healed by the power of the Spirit, and join the family. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for the stories of those who went before us who took risks to share the love and the healing of Jesus. I pray that you, by your spirit, would empower us to do the same. And may we see you the fruit of it in our church family here. Pray this in Jesus' name.
0: Amen.